everyone, Katie here. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Muse Room. I'm so glad you're here. I know that I mentioned in the last episode that I was planning to do these episodes every two weeks, but with my schedule and some other life occurrences, like my dearly beloved grandmother passing away last week, I just had to put this off and I'm hoping to get back momentum, but I'm not going to promise episodes every two weeks like I did last time. I'm just going to try to do it when I can and hopefully we'll build momentum from there. But this week on the podcast, I have Dina Fisher of Dina's Table and Dinner Inn. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Dina is the sweetest human. After our conversation, she actually sent me an incredible cookbook that I'm really excited to dig into, and I'll share some recipes from that. But in the episode, I talked to Dina about growing up, cooking with her parents and grandparents, and how she took what she learned to provide delicious homemade dinners to her friends and family through a service called Dinner Inn, which is based out of the west side of Cleveland. So if you are on the west side of Cleveland or in any area of Cleveland or northeast Ohio, I highly recommend that you check her out. She has an incredible service that creates delicious homemade meals that are fresh to order every day, Monday through Thursday. So not every day, but If you don't have time to cook, you can order a meal for the week and come pick it up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and it will be hot and you'll be part of a community that is eating the same food that you're eating and you'll have delicious, healthy, home-cooked meals that will comfort you and your family that you can enjoy around the table with your loved ones. In our conversation, we talk about her first memories in the kitchen, how cooking with her family influences how she cooks today, how she uses food to create community and bring people together, and so much more. Please be sure to stay tuned all the way until the end of the episode to hear all about her decadent braised chicken recipe. I cannot wait for you guys to meet Dina. She's the sweetest, and I can't wait for you guys to hear our conversation. So thank you so much for tuning in, and now let's hear from Dina Fisher. Hi, Dina. Welcome to Newsroom Podcast. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited to have you here. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners who might not know you. Oh, okay. Well, I'm Dina, Dina Fisher. I am a Cleveland West Sider, and I'm a home cook. I have a little kitchen hustle called Dinner In, and I cook for families in my community four nights during the week. So awesome. Yeah. I do some uh, small private catered events. I take some photos of my food and share it on Instagram. That's, that's pretty much the extent of it awesome. for now. Yeah. We'll definitely be talking about your business and how that all started. Um, but first, can you tell us a little bit about what's inspiring you right now in the world of cooking and food? Yeah. So I'm always inspired by the seasons. The seasonal, what's available for me uh, seasonally and locally, and then the weather. So, you know, when the weather changes, especially this time of year, I feel like I want to eat cozy food, Mm -hmm. you know, melty 
melted cheesy things and braised meats and soups and stews and things like that. So definitely, I'm definitely inspired by seasonal foods. Yeah, I saw on Instagram you posted that like in the summer you only want to eat summer salads. You say you, you're only going to eat summer salads and then fall comes around and you're only going to eat fall salads. And right. I feel that in this during the season, like I somehow we can adapt. Our, our bodies just crave naturally those seasonal foods. Absolutely. It, it's like drinking rosé in the summer and then red wine when the weather gets cooler. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And in the summer I'm thinking, oh, Red wine doesn't sound good to me at all right now. And then as soon as it gets a little chilly, like, oh, I I can't have a glass of white wine. I'm going to be too chilly. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. food food works that same way for me, for sure. Yeah. I wonder if it's something that's becoming more more popular now as people are starting to eat healthier foods and focus on the environment compared to, I don't know, like 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think about just when we started picking up like a CSA bag um, in the summer. Um, We're lucky to have a lot of great local farms and there's so much delicious local produce available that's seasonal. It's so readily available to be able to, you know, get some really delicious squash right now, apples. um, And I definitely think that when you think about being, you know, you are what you eat. I think that um, you can't help but lean toward those seasonal options Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. In this season that we're in right now, fall, what, what have you been really loving? You know, last night I made some pumpkin muffins. I had some pumpkin puree left over from a CSA this um, spring. And I, I made those with um, some cinnamon and nutmeg and, you know, I just wanted my house to smell like fall. Mm -hmm. And then I definitely bake more this time of year. But then I also yesterday made a really, you know, crispy, fresh salad with um, some pomegranate seeds and some matchstick apples. And Mm -hmm. so those, I still feel like you can eat fresh despite, you know, the, the change in season and wanting warmer, toastier foods, you can still have like a nice crisp salad. Mm-hmm. And I made like a ginger lime vinaigrette to, to go along with that. And it, it, it tasted, it tasted really fresh and light, but it was still very seasonal. Sounds so good. Yeah. I actually had a salad with some matchstick apples in it the other day. <laughs> yeah. I'm obsessed with match, matchstick cutting right now. And it's a joke <laughs> in our house. Um, you know, I think my husband was slicing an apple for the kids the other day and he's like, would you like it matchstick? (laughs) Okay. That's not funny. (laughs) And it is funny, but (laughs) so yeah, I, uh, watermelon radishes in the summer. Oh my gosh. I love to matchstick cut those. I think they're so beautiful and I I love the way they taste and Mm -hmm. they're just so earthy and they're so good. The cuts like really change the texture of the food in that changes how we enjoy it, I think, too. Yeah, definitely. And I think it allows you to have a balanced bite of food. Um, you know, when I, when I eat something that, ha- that has a lot of different components, I like to have a little of each component in the bite. Mm-hmm. So I feel like 
that kind of cutting lets me have all the things in one bite. Mm. I like that. Nice. Um, talk about your first memory in the kitchen. Oh gosh. You know, when you sent me uh, a couple of things that we might be talking about, I, this was the one that it always makes me feel really emotional, but, but makes me feel really good. Um, definitely my grandmother's kitchen, both my grandparents, um, were, were avid cooks, um, on my mom and dad's side. Um, but my first memory is probably in my grandma Hazel's kitchen. I grew up across the street from my grandparents. And so I spent a lot of time in the kitchen with her. She always made homemade pasta and sauce and meatballs. Mm -hmm. She had one of those porcelain top tables in her basement that she would cut her pasta on by hand. Wow. She had a second stove down there too, where she would boil the water. And um, I just, that kitchen is so, I have it such distinct, clear memories of it. So good. I love that. Did you, did she teach you how to make homemade pasta? She did. She did. She wasn't one to like, let you get next to her and get your hands into things. You know, she was the one cooking. She knew what was best, mm -hmm. but she definitely let me, you know, slide up next, next to her and, and watch. My grandma, Mary was different. My mom's mom, she would let me cut things and make a mess in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, so I value what I learned from both of them, you know, cause in, even in my own kitchen today, I will let the kids get involved. Um, they, they really enjoy it, but in certain situations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I still like to have kind of some, that's the grandma Hazel in me. I want to kind of be in control. Yeah. But. It's funny. I was visiting my sister this past weekend in St. Louis. We were cooking together and it was just funny because we're, we have both have very different personalities. So it was a little bit of a clashing situation. <laughs> I did see that menu though that you guys created. It looked amazing. It was so, so good. So many good things there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I it's funny because you know I cook a lot with my mom in the kitchen. She will sometimes come up and help me with uh weekly meals and it's funny how when I was a kid my mom was very much in control of the kitchen, not in a way that made me feel outside of it, but just in a way that, you know, this is what we're doing. This is your task. You do this, I'll do this, and it will all come together. But when she's in my kitchen, she's, she hangs back and waits mm -hmm. for my instruction. And sometimes mm -hmm. I just want to say, mom, you already know what to do. Like you taught me how to do this, just <laughs> do it, you know? But so it's funny how those roles have reversed. Yeah. It's interesting. So you pretty much grew up cooking, you'd say? Yeah. I mean, maybe if not me, but my parents and my my grandparents, you know, I had this really unique, special childhood. I got to grow up around all of my family. So my grandparents lived across the street and my great grandparents lived next door. Wow. And then Next, on the other side, were three of my grandfather's sisters, all in, in their own homes. And then a, next door to us was my dad's sister. So we had like this little compound. That's so cool. 
And my aunts had gardens. My grandma had a huge garden. And my grand, my great grandpa, he actually would grow tomatoes in the winter in his in his cellar. Um, he brought his tomato seeds with him when he um, immigrated here from from Italy, and so he didn't trust tomatoes from you know the grocery store. He thought they tasted terrible, so he grew his own tomatoes and. My grandparents and my parents would can tomatoes every year, um, so we would have fresh marinara. I remember that it was always like a treat to have a box of Kraft mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I knew like what rice aroni was until I was like twenty. Yeah, well, that's so cool that you grew up eating whole foods, and it, it probably makes it a little bit easier today when you're for cooking. sure. Yeah, you know, it, I, it, don't get me wrong. I love, you know, like a, you know, a greasy cheeseburger from mm-hmm. a burger joint or a Chipotle burrito, but um, it definitely, I was definitely at an early age, um, impre- it was impressed upon me that you, you know, you are what you eat. And <clears throat> as long as you can grow something, you have something to eat. Mm-hmm. So do you garden a lot? on your own today? I do a little. I don't have a huge lawn. I don't have a huge yard for gardening and we have a lot of critters. So I don't, it doesn't stay nice for very long. Um, but I grow cucumbers and tomatoes. Um, I grow a lot of herbs mm-hmm. and tons of herbs and I, I grow Swiss chard and kale. Nice. So. Do you mm-hmm. have any of those seeds from your grandpa? No, I don't. Isn't that sad? (laughs) I have garlic from my grandma. Wow. And my mom will still, my mom, a friend of hers has some of that garlic. And every year my mom will get, give me a huge braided, a braid of garlic, Mm. which is just, you know, something my grandma always did. She would harvest her garlic and then she would put it in those beautiful long braids. So I do get, some of the garlic. So you mentioned how they, how you grew up with your family all living basically on the same street. So did everyone kind of have a lot of dinners together? Did you guys cook together a lot? Yeah, I mean my my mom and my and my grandma, um, my dad's mom, they cooked a lot together. We would have big um, holiday gatherings with my my grandpa's sisters and my grandmother's siblings. We used to joke that if like, I didn't want to have what my mom and dad were making, I could just go over to grandma's and eat or Aunt Angela's, see what she had on her table. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like a little bit, but we always were like dropping food off to each other. So, you know, whether it was a baked good or a container of sauce and meatballs or some rhubarb, from my Aunt Angela's garden, we would always be just kind of dropping food off. And I, and I do that now. That's definitely something that I've carried, a tradition I've carried out. I'm always dropping something off at a neighbor or a friend's house. Mm-hmm. I don't even, I, I just, I shouldn't even assume that they want the thing. <laughs> hey, I made this. Here, have some. Um, I'm sure they appreciate it. I would. <laughs> I always appreciate it. You know, I have I have sweet friends and neighbors who deliver us stuff, and it just makes my day. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I was going to ask how how cooking with your grandparents and how your grandparents and your parents were all great cooks, avid home cooks, how that influenced you as a cook today? Well, I think that uh, I certainly still use their practices and in, in that I use whole foods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I never rely on processed goods. I also am, I take my time in the kitchen. I feel like when I was growing up, whether I was cooking in my mom and dad's kitchen or my aunt's or my grandma's, it was not like something to just get done, to, mm-hmm. to tick off. Um, like, oh, I've got to make dinner. We have to eat. It, mm-hmm. was, it was this kind of like this ceremonial thing. Like, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, food, they taught me that food brings all people together. Mm-hmm. And even if, you know, you aren't, you don't agree with the person sitting across the table from you, when you sit down to eat, you can agree on one thing that, you know, you are enjoying this meal together. Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely a philosophy that I've taken, that I've brought into my own kitchen that I hope I'm teaching my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, I feel like there's a lot of people who they're just trying to get dinner on the table. And so they rely on 30 minute meals and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally love spending hours cooking in the kitchen and sometimes I end up cooking a little bit too late. <laughs> I know. I always, when I watch your stories, you're always you're like, we're going to make mushroom confit and we're going to start it at eight 30. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have already like brushed my teeth and I'm in my bed. <laughs> time. I'm always really impressed by your late night cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice though, you know, you have to find the time that works best for you and the kitchen is quiet. I mean, it's just fun to, I don't know, what would you say to people who are trying to get a meal on the table and that's what they're thinking about and just how to step back a little bit and enjoy the process? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would I would just say to not overthink it and um, to just trust your instincts when it comes to putting together a meal. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that a lot of times, one of the things that I, that I practice and something I really admire in a lot of um, chefs is like intuitive cooking. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, I'm hungry for a chick. I'm hungry. I I want some protein um, and I'm hungry for something that's like a little, got a little spice, you know? So kind of just starting from what sounds good to you. And going from there, I think that recipes are, are great and I use recipes myself. Um, but I think that sometimes we get in our own way when it comes to putting together a meal. And it, it's, it doesn't have to be as complicated as, as we make it out to be. Yeah. Is that something you learned along the way, um, cooking without recipes? I think so. Um, I can remember my grandma, Mary, my mom's mom, she used to make this delicious eggplant caponata. And and I remember that she'd made it in like a, I think she made it in a crock pot and she'd keep it, she'd make it and keep it in the fridge and then pull it out. And she would kind of adjust the flavors. We'd eat it for about four or five days. We'd have it with pasta or we'd eat it on a piece of bread and I remember, you know, she would say, here, taste this. 
How does it taste? What is it missing? What does it need? Um, and she was just kind of, she kind of helped me um, really develop my, a palate mm. for, um, and trusting my palate. Like, oh, maybe this does need a little more acid. So let's put a little more vinegar in it or more tomato or, and so I feel like I definitely was raised that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I haven't always cooked that way. I mean, I think there was a time in my life to get dinner on the table, um, just to get it done. And, um, you know, I used to work full time out of the outside of my home and, like most, like most people, I, I was just like, well, let's make tacos or let's do this or let's do what works and what's quick and what I have, use what I have. I was also going to the store like, you know, four or five times a week because I wasn't prepared. And, and that, that's stressful. I think one way to make it a little easier is to just kind of plan your meals just for a few days in advance. So, you know what you need. Yeah. Joanna Gaines, she does, she always talks about how she's like relaxed in the kitchen when she cooks because she's prepared. Mm-hmm. So I think being prepared is a big piece of it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That is something that I've gone through different, um, t- I don't know, techniques, not techniques, but different, three different phases of cooking where sometimes I'll do a bunch of batch cooking on Sunday and like make it an entire soup for the week and then you get tired Mm -hmm. of it. And then Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll try to like have a little calendar of what I want to eat each day. And then, and then I scratch that. And then, and then I'm like, Oh, there's this recipe that I want to make. So I'll go to the store that night and get the Mm -hmm. ingredients. And so I haven't really found a good, a good rhythm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, so first, I, I guess I would say, first of all, like you don't have to have a rhythm, you know, that you don't have to have a plan. If you're comfortable with not planning, then mm-hmm. that's going to be your plan. You know, that's what's going to work for you. And I think there are lots of people who are, who really thrive in that spontaneous, like what I'm hungry for, this is what I'm hungry for today. So this is what I'm going to make. Um, I think the reality is, is that most people don't really have the time for that. Mm-hmm. And financially, I think that that can be stressful because yeah, I was going to say it's not really great for the wallet. <laughs> right, right. You know, if you decide that you know you want to make, for example, mushroom confit, and you've got to go get some fancy mushrooms, you know, it's going to be costly, and it might not really fit into your budget. So before dinner in began, I was doing a menu each week. And my husband actually was the one who said, let's, let's come up with what we're going to eat at least Monday through Thursday. So we kind of would sit down together as a family and decide like, what we wanted to eat that week. If on Monday I had, you know, chili on the menu, but we weren't really in the mood for chili, then maybe I would make Tuesday's dinner. And, and usually I have a little bit of leftover, but not always. I, I don't love leftovers. Mm-hmm. So I usually make just enough for what we need. And then there are things I always have in the fridge. I always have lettuce. I always have the, everything I need to make a salad because I feel like that's just easy and it's healthy. And then I have like some olives and some feta and I have um, 
some like Orson cheese. You know, I have stuff that's satisfying that I can throw together and just, if I'm in a hurry, just mm-hmm. eat it without having to prepare it. But I think, I think, you know, on, on Saturday or Sunday, when you're thinking about your week, look at your calendar and decide, do I have time to make this raised chicken on Wednesday? Mm-hmm. Because I've got to take this kid here and I've got this work meeting. Um, I think you have to just kind of think, think ahead about it. Yeah. Be a little more proactive. Is there a way that when you plan your menu, um, like when you are thinking about ingredients that you're buying, is there a way that you make the most out of each ingredient where you don't have one recipe that has like very specific ingredients that you can't use the rest of the week and other recipes? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, there are certain things I try not to over purchase so that I, I don't have a surplus of, um, luckily we're learning and, and this kind of goes back to how we're educating ourselves about healthy, healthier eating and eating for wellness. I can freeze a lot of my waste or a lot of things, and then I can add them later to stocks and, and stuff. And so I do talk a lot about that with my, with my audience about, you know, save your carrot tops and Mm -hmm. throw them in your soup stock or mushroom stems, throw those in your soup stock, your vegetable stock. Um, But yeah, you know, when I buy a nub of ginger, I try to um, think about how I'm going to be using it for the the next few days so that I'm not left with any waste. Food waste is really stresses me out, Mm -hmm. especially right now when I I think so many people are, are hungry. You know, I just can't, I can't reconcile throwing away anything. Mm -hmm. Totally. You mentioned um, some staples that you have in your refrigerator. Do you have other pantry staples that you think every cook should have? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's probably a long list. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think you should always have, you know, a can of crushed tomatoes, tomato paste, um, definitely, you know, olive oil and avocado oil. I always have um, nuts. Uh, although now I've, I keep nuts in the freezer. I finally joined that, <laughs> the, the, you know, the frozen mm-hmm. nuts camp. And so I, I keep our nuts in the freezer to keep them nice and fresh. But um, seeds, quinoa, uh, brown rice, that's the kind of stuff I have in the freezer or in the pantry. I always have a couple like bags of pasta, dried pasta. Mm-hmm. I have ramen in there. Yeah, I have lots of vinegars. I love vinegar. Mm-hmm. I blame Allison Roman for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love vinegar. So I have lots of different – I just bought coconut vinegar. Mm-hmm. I feel really, you know, like I've leveled up. I, I, I wish I could tell you that I noticed a huge difference with it. I don't, but um, – but I have it. Um, I used to hate vinegar when I was a kid. And I think my palate's just opening up a lot more. My mom used to make cucumbers and vinegar for uh, like yeah. in the summertime. And I yes. couldn't stand it. Me and my dad did not <laughs> eat them. My sister and my mom <laughs> ate them all the time. And now like all I want to do is pickle everything. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I definitely got my my 
my vinegar palette from my dad. My dad used to make this cabbage salad. Well, he still makes it. He calls it cabbage salad. It's, <laughs> it's literally cabbage. I think he still uses like vegetable oil, um, apple cider vinegar and salt and pepper. That is it, you know, and it's funny because I, I made it once for our family. We had like a smoked pork shoulder and I'm like, ooh, I'll make a cabbage salad. And when they kind of like put it on their plate, they're like, I don't get this. What I, I'm like, it's the cabbage salad. It's Papa Buster's cabbage salad. <laughs> they were so confused. Like, this is just cabbage. Like, yeah, I know. It's Isn't it delicious? <laughs> Like a slaw, pretty much. Yeah, it's a slaw. It is. It's a slaw, you know, but it doesn't have anything like, you know, it doesn't have anything fancy in it. There's no jicama. There no, there's no mayo. There's nothing else. It's just that. That's fine. <laughs> well, it's great how things like vinegar can really enhance very simple foods and recipes. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have a, uh, it's a New York Times recipe that is a vinegar chicken with Mm -hmm. olives. Oh my gosh. It it makes me so happy. I love it so much. I haven't tried that, but I have Samin Nozrat's cookbook and she has a recipe for that. And I think Alison Roman has a recipe for that too. Yeah. I think that, I think that vinegar chicken one in the times is an Alison Roman recipe. Yeah. So good. I'm sure. Um, Speaking of vinegar, there's this really cool vinegar. I'm not sure if it's just vinegar. Maybe they have olive oils to shop in Nashville called Galena Garlic. And I found one of their vinegars at another sort of farmer's market store. And it's a rosé balsamic vinegar. Ooh, that sounds delightful. Yeah. Have you had it? Mm-hmm. Did and you, I, I used yeah. it in everything. <clears throat> I have to buy another bottle. It's really good. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I am, I also, uh, another pantry staple I always have is some balsamic syrup. Oh, like glaze. a glaze. I guess you, yeah, a glaze, you call it glaze. It's, that is so, so um, universal. I, I, I love that. I, I mean, I, my daughter will drizzle that over things that she thinks needs like something extra. Mm-hmm. It is really delicious. It's so good, like drizzled over roasted sweet potatoes or, you know, even just over like a salad. So Mm -hmm. good. What about like different sweeteners or like what do you use in salads? Yeah, sweeteners. I I love uh, maple syrup. Mm -hmm. Maple syrup is my go-to for like a salad dressing sweetener. Uh, Honey. I always have some local raw honey. I feel like it, that works perfectly as a sweetener. Um, agave. I use liquid sweeteners. I don't have a lot of, I do, I always have like, I have a container of, you know, sugar in my pantry, but rarely use it mm-hmm. for salad dressings or dishes. I, I do use it in like some of the Indian like curries and things. Sometimes you just need like a tablespoon of sugar to mm-hmm. balance the, the acid and, and the tomatoes. But but yeah, honey and maple syrup for sure. Nice. So what would you say to people who really love food, but they're not, um, they're kind of intimidated by the kitchen? How? What are some like good recipes to start out with and how can they build their confidence in the kitchen? I think that I think that I, you know, when I was kind of exploring the kitchen, 
myself, like trying to take a more intuitive approach, approach, I started with just learning basic things like how to like cook a really nice moist chicken thigh mm-hmm. or how to boil pasta perfectly or make a good marinara. Um, like the kind of basic things that don't require a lot of ingredients or time um, that you can feel really proud about. Like this, I, I made this chicken thigh. It's perfect. It's crispy on the outside. It's juicy on the inside. I think starting with basics is a, is a good place. Mm. So just going with one thing, um, what are, what's your process for a really great chicken thigh then? Oh, well, so I always, um, a few hours before I'm going to cook them, I put a pretty uh, generous amount of kosher salt on them. And then I, are you in the diamond kosher? Oh yes. I'm a diamond crystal girl. (laughs) And I'll tell you, I haven't been able to find it recently. Mm. I've had a hard time sourcing it. I, I found a few boxes at, um, Mark's, Mm. which I, I was in Mark's to get some plants and I, I popped in for something and I saw it and I, I bought three boxes. There were only five. So I bought three. Of course, this was like in May when I felt like grocery items were still, were still a little scarce. And so I didn't want to be a kosher salt hog, but I had to have it. <laughs> I know. I, I couldn't find it either. And I ordered it on Amazon and it oh, just came in yeah. like a day. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank mm-hmm. goodness. Um, so yeah, lots of, lots of diamond crystal kosher salt. And then um, really, honestly, that's it. I, and I stick it in the fridge and let it just kind of have a dry brine. Mm-hmm. I don't cover it. I just, I put them on a, a, a rimmed baking sheet. I, I kosher salt. And then in a few hours, I pull them out and then I pan sear them. And then I usually will just line a tray with foil you know, I'll, I'll pan sear them just until the skin gets crispy. Mm-hmm. And then I will put them in the oven, like a 400 degree oven until I get the temp I need. Mm-hmm. And usually they're, they're pretty fail safe. And this is where you can, you know, drizzle them with white wine vinegar mm-hmm. and a little more olive oil, crush up some garlic cloves. So that's where I feel like once you feel like you can cre- make the chicken thigh, then you can add and layer the flavor. Mm. And you can do a bunch of different things with it and make yeah. it different. And yeah, you can recipe. add, you know, lemon and chili flakes and Parmesan. Um, you could slice up some raw veggies and throw on the sheet pan. Sheet pan dinners are a really great way to, to explore. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you're just, if you feel a little intimidated. Because yeah. the, the chicken's going to render like the most delicious, flavorful fat. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to season your vegetables and make everything taste really good. Mm. Sounds good. It's only 10 mm-hmm. o'clock here and I know. I'm ready to make <laughs> kind of hungry now. dinner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> nice. Um, so kind of going back to cooking with your grandparents and your parents mm. and as you grew up and to where you are today, what was your journey with cooking like? Like did you you said you mentioned there was a time where you were just kind of trying to get dinner on the table. Yeah. So w- <laughs> were you still kind of cooking throughout that whole time? 
Yeah, I was. I was always cooking. When my babies were born, I really, really started to dial in on whole foods. I more so like if if I had gotten away from it a bit in my late twenties and I in my early twenties, by the time I was like around thirty, I definitely shifted my focus fully to whole foods. Um, you know, I made my, I made the baby food my kids ate. And I remember when they were, you know, when they had teeth and, and they could manage more solid foods, you know, I, I would puree everything we had for dinner. I would just puree for them. I would add oh. a little like vegetable broth to thin it. But, you know, when they were by the, when they were six or seven months old, they were eating what we were eating. I that's, would just puree awesome. it. So would you say and, that they're not really picky eaters then? I would say they're not. I think they're all really great eaters. I think that if they could choose their meals, it wouldn't be all the things that I serve them. You know, I think they would eat pizza more often and, <laughs> you know, the foods we right. all would like to eat more often. <laughs> but I think they do a, a pretty good job of mm. being adventurous with us. Um, and I really appreciate that, especially mm-hmm. with dinner in, um, because I, because I'm not just cooking for us. I've really had to focus on a varied menu. So I've introduced new things pretty often and, um, yeah, they're really good sports about it. Mm-hmm. They really like it. And, you know, they're, they're gracious. I feel like even if it's something I know they don't love, they're still really kind about it. Mm-hmm. And that's good enough for me. That's awesome. It's really yeah. sweet. Um, <laughs> so what was your career before dinner in? Like was cooking ever something that you wanted to do as as your job or did it just kind of happen? Oh gosh. You know, I mean, when I was in my late teens and early twenties, I waited tables and I worked in some really great restaurants and had the fortunate opportunity to eat really f- good food and be introduced to lots of lots of new things um, and then I I worked um, my my job I, I you know I worked as a research assistant for a lot of years and I went after my after our second daughter Lily was born I just kind of pulled back from working I was I was working kind of part-time, I guess. And that gave me a chance to spend more time in the kitchen and make what I thought was, you know, better food, Mm -hmm. better in, better both in flavor and in wholeness. And so I feel like it was around the time maybe Lily was, Lily's 11. I think she was probably four or five. And I was just kind of at a point where funding was changing in my work and I was going to go into projects that were just a little less meaningful and really honestly outside of my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of decided, you know, I would try staying home Mm -hmm. and not with the intention of, of cooking for a living, but just for more quality of life Mm -hmm. and satisfaction. Um, and then 
then I just, you know, then I was kind of like a maniac in the kitchen. Then I was making breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I was, you know, baking and doing all these, all these things. And it was really great. It was fun. And I think that those were the couple of years that really allowed me to practice. Mm. You know, I still feel like every time I'm in the kitchen making anything, I'm practicing. It's kind of like yoga. Yeah. You know, you're never, you never achieve it fully. You're just, you're always practicing. That I think has helped me increase my comfort level and my abilities. Mm. Um, everything, you know, I'm self-taught. Like everything that I do is stuff I've just learned on my own, like watching a video or uh, reading cook. I love to read cookbooks. So just lots of cookbooks from the library and lots of reading and practicing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then dinner in just kind of happened so organically that now sometimes I, I'm like, I can't believe this is like what I do. <laughs> this is like the thing that I do now. It's so, it's really crazy. It's, it's amazing. And I, I love it. Sometimes I can't believe it's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk about that. How did how did you go from just cooking all the time and practicing cooking to then cooking for your community? Well, I, I like I said, I always am delivering something. You know, mm-hmm. something I made, and here have a little. I have extra. I have this, um, and then of course, if a baby's born or someone has a sick kid or a sick parent or sibling, I'm always, you know, taking a meal over. Mm -hmm. Um, That was something my parents always did and continue to do. So I don't know. I I have a neighbor friend and we were, I think we were like playing dominoes one night and she said, why don't you just cook me dinner and I'll pay you? (laughs) You know, and we kind of laughed about it. And then she later said, no, I'm serious. Like, make me a weeknight. Let me know. Just tell me what you're making and we'll just have what you're making. And then I remember having a conversation with, with my husband, Corey, about it on our way to visit his sisters in Columbus one weekend. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned it to his sisters and they were both just like, oh my gosh, that's genius. You should do that. And I, that, I don't even know how to go about doing that. You know, I don't know that I can physically accommodate cooking for another family. So, I mean, so I just, I kind of floated the idea then with a a couple of close friends and decided to create this little private Facebook group. Mm -hmm. I I invited four friends to it and posted our menu. So the whole concept was this is, you know, we had been at that point, we had been making our menu plans for a couple of years. And so I just said, okay, this is what we're having this week. If you want it, um, this is how much it costs. Mm-hmm. And it'll be ready by around 5.30. It'll be hot. You can pick it up and take it home and eat it. And um, that first week, all four of my friends, God love them, they, got, they ordered dinner every night. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it was, I mean, it, it was kind of like a, a little experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have about 112 members in that group. Oh, my goodness. And it's just word of mouth. And um, I cook on average for about eight families a night. Mm-hmm. And a family could be, I have a, a couple of single people. I have some retired, older folks. I have um, families of seven, families of six, families of four. It just depends. Mm-hmm. 
And you're cooking every night for them. Well, not every night of the week, but you're not making a whole batch of meals for them to take and reheat. It's <clears throat> they come to you and they pick up their dinner for the night. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so we called it dinner in because kind of like what we were talking about, it's if you're someone who is intimidated by cooking or maybe you just simply don't care to do it or maybe you don't have time or maybe it's all three of those things, then you can get a whole food meal on your table for your family mm-hmm. for yourself during the week. I'm really proud of what we created. You know, I, I say we because, you know, I, it's not I alone. It's everyone who shows up to pick up dinner at the door. We're like this little community of, of, of people. Yeah. And we eat the same food mm-hmm. at dinner. And it's, it's just really special. It's funny. One day Lily came home from school and she was sitting with a friend at lunch and they both had dinner and leftovers for lunch. <laughs> Wow. She's like, you know, I had your dinner last night and we were talking about how we both had the same lunch today. So, you know, again, you know, just bringing people together with, with a meal is, it's good. I, I, I love it. I love it. That's amazing. How does it work? How do you do it? <laughs> Every day you make these- I, uh, yes, people. I don't know. Some days it's harder than others. It just depends on the meal and the volume. You know, I, I usually close it at 10 families. There are times where I've let it go a little longer. For my birthday a couple of years ago, my mom and I made lasagna. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, that was like my most requested meal. It's my mom's lasagna. And so she and I did it together. I made the pasta. She made the sauce. You made the pasta she from made, scratch. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. She made the meatballs. Um, and then we made 21 pans of lasagna. <laughs> I use my neighbor's oven sometimes. Mm-hmm. She's really helpful in that she lets me use her oven. I have a couple actually who I have sometimes on backup just in case. And they're, they're my families too who order dinner. So mm-hmm. she's like, oh, now my house smells like I made it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because you're, yeah. you're doing this out of your home. How have you been able to, to do that and make that work? Yeah, so that's one that's one of the trickier things of dinner in right now. You know, I have a license to handle food and I have a license to prepare food and handle food in a commercial kitchen. Mm-hmm. But I don't work in a commercial kitchen. And that is a technical issue that I have kind of an internal struggle with because I feel like I owe it to the like chef community. To, to cook in a commercial kitchen because, you know, the, 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 the real chefs out there who are hustling and making their restaurant ownership work, you know, I have so much gratitude for them and so much respect for that. I just can't make dinner and work in that way right now mm-hmm. for, for me and for my family. My kids are young and need me to be here. So I just make it work in my own kitchen and it, and my families understand that you know that mm-hmm. i'm handling their food in a safe way and i'm going to give them my very best um and that's why i've kept it small and and private because i feel like um the second it becomes public it it just becomes something that i can't that i can't manage mm-hmm. 
You mean like scaling it on making it large scale, something that you would serve right. a lot more people. Correct. I mean, I'm the only one who prepares the food. Mm-hmm. You know, when I get help at home, it's like the kids are just kind of counting my packages and stamping my boxes. Mm-hmm. My husband will help me from time to time. You know, if I'm grilling, if something's grilled, he'll help me with the grilling. But as far as like any food prep with raw food, I, I, I handle that all on my own. And I think when you and that, and I'm very transparent about that from the beginning with my clients, you know, this is how I do it. And if you would prefer not to get dinner from my kitchen, I completely understand. I mean, in a perfect world, I would have a commercial kitchen attached to my house <laughs> and, and I would make it all the food there. Um, oh, that would and be maybe, great. and maybe one day, you know, I could do that. Yeah, maybe. That'd be awesome. I know like Ina Garden, she she used to do all of her cooking shows inside of her house, like in her actual kitchen. And then they just like built a barn with a second kitchen for her to do all yeah. of her content creation from. Yeah. So we've actually explored this option. It's something that we've been kind of mulling over for the last couple of years. We'd like to build a house in that we can have a a kitchen attached to where we live. Our zoning laws wouldn't allow me to have a second building on a residential property. Mm. It would be considered a second dwelling and you can only have one dwelling. So in order for me to have a dinner in kitchen that's commercial and licensed, Mm -hmm. I have to have it attached to my dwelling. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is a possibility it's just a very expensive possibility that's not without risk. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so we're just kind of, but that that would be the ideal setting, I think, mm-hmm. to have that, that commercial kitchen. That would be, that'd be great. But you make it work and it, it seems like everyone's really happy and you yeah. love doing it. So I do. I mean, I have, I definitely have some like panic moments mm-hmm. in the kitchen. You know, it's like, it's that, I mean, if you've worked in restaurants, you know that feeling of like high anxiety before like the dinner service. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely, I do definitely have those moments. And yeah. there are nights when I like will look at my kitchen and it's like a, a like a bomb went off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do so, you, the dishes yeah. are the worst part about cooking. I know. <laughs> How do you feel about them? I, you know, it's funny because one of my, one of my friends, she messaged me last week and she's like, we need to get a new dishwasher. And I thought I would ask you because no one washes more dishes than you. Um, and I had to laugh because I actually hate my dishwasher right now. We're, we're having a, we're having a a time, my dishwasher Mm -hmm. and I, um, I try to keep up as I go. Mm -hmm. So I wash as I go, um, so that I'm not left with a giant pile. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that works. And then my God love my husband, he comes home and he helps me clean up the kitchen always. And my kids help me. So that's great. But it's not just <laughs> washing dishes. You know, I have to like mm-hmm. scrub my floor and, you know, I have to do a pretty, a pretty handy cleaning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. But it feels good. You know, when I turn off the lights, it's like, well, I've put in a day's work and I love that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I really do. I do. Um, how has COVID influenced this at all with dinner in? Oh gosh, yeah, COVID. Um, well, it, 
when everything closed at first, I had to suspend dinner in because I couldn't purchase large quantities of food. Mm. Um, you know, those people rushing out of Costco with, you know, giant carts of toilet paper, that would have been me with like chicken thighs and mixed greens and wow. that wasn't going to work. So mm-hmm. I had to, I had to stop for, well, I, I stopped mid the end of March. I think it was my last week. And then I suspended it through April and May. And I came back in June and it was, it was really, that was just a surreal time. I think for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how people, how comfortable people would feel coming to my door and getting dinner. Um, I still, you know, wear my mask now when people pick up. Um, I try to be very, uh, very careful. Um, but, and in June I did like contactless pickup. So Mm -hmm. I set up a couple tables inside my garage and Mm -hmm. everyone picked up from outside, you know, cause there's just so much unknown. Um, right. But when I came back in June, I have a different menu in the summer. My, I, in the, my regular dinner in is Monday through Thursday, but in the summer I cook Monday, Wednesday, and then on Friday we do happy hour. Mm. Um, so you pick up like three things that you share. Mm. And so happy hour was great this summer because everyone was getting together outside. Right. And so, um, lots of people would pick up happy hour and then, you know, go sit at a friend's patio and share it. Mm. And so that, that was really nice. That was kind of how I was able to maintain the, the dinner and community. Yeah. Would you say it's, you've gained back momentum or is it something that you're still struggling with? Um, I think I have, I, I, you know, I was just looking at my menus last year. Every time I create a menu, I look at what I made last year this week. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I look at the numbers of families who ordered and it's, it's comparable. It's, and I have new families all the time. So, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows. Like I might have a family who orders, you know, twice a week for, you know, three or four months and then they might fall off for a bit. And then I'll have another family kind of pick up where that family left off. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the majority of my orders are the families who've been with me from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate them for that. They're loyal. Mm-hmm. They are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do any of them end up cooking more for themselves or are they mostly just relying on your dinners? Oh, I think they do. Uh, one of the things I did in the, when I wasn't cooking during um, shelter in place was I shared a lot of my recipes that they love. So I, I asked my group, like, you know, what do you want to cook? What do you, what are you missing? What are you craving? And they had called out a few recipes. So I shared recipes. I made a couple of little videos, how to videos for some of the things we make. Um, and the only condition is that I asked that they share their experience with cooking, you know, sharing maybe a photo to the group or, you know, something like tag me in their, in their Instagram stories so I could see what they've done. 
and I share recipes now. I actually have a few people in the group who don't order from me. They just want to get weekly menu inspiration. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that works too. Yeah. Do you, are you developing a lot of your own recipes or are you using recipes from childhood? Like how does that work? Yeah. I would say it's about 50, 50, maybe, maybe, maybe 70, 30, like 70% food that I, that are things that I've created, um, or things that I've adapted from older recipes. Mm -hmm. Um, 30% new things. You know, last night I had a recipe. I made something that I never made before. You know, I don't think a year ago I wouldn't have done that. I would have Mm -hmm. tested the recipe out for my family like over the weekend or on an off day. Mm -hmm. But I just, I really just don't have time to, to do that as much anymore. So, you know, I make it and again, it goes back to knowing like if you can pan sear shrimp, well and cook them well, then you can add different flavors right? Um, and make it work. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, that's what I did last night. So a new recipe cooks illustrated is my Bible. Mm-hmm. I, I love cooks <clears throat> illustrated. It not only informs me as a home cook, um, like it's so educational, but then, you know, I've never had a recipe that I've used from that publication fail me. Mm-hmm. It's always reliably good. And, and for good reason, you know, they, they test it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So are you, what's your process for developing new recipes? Um, How do you get inspiration for it? Uh, yeah. So, you know, the recipe that, that I'm, that I'm going to share with everyone today is one that my grandma used to make this chicken and rice my aunt makes it too. It, and I just remembered like the flavors of it. And, and I think I was craving it one day, but I didn't have that recipe. You know, so few of the things my grandma made, did she write down? She just mm-hmm. made them. So um, I spend time trying to recreate those flavors. And um, that chicken, that braised chicken is, you know, it, it took me a, a, a few attempts until I realized, oh yeah, this tastes like my grandma Mary's chicken. Soups. I develop a lot of soups recipes because I feel like soup is, is pretty easy. You know, if you, I like to make my own stocks. So if I have a good stock, then I, I can add, you know, maybe a protein, maybe not, but vegetables and, and flavors that I feel like are familiar flavors for me. Things that I remember eating when I was younger that made me really happy and feel really safe and comforted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, side note about stocks. I was talking about stocks on Instagram stories last week and how you should never buy box stock. Are you, you're, right, in, right. I saw, you're in the homemade yeah. stock club as well. I, I am. I am. But it, but when I have to buy stock, I like kitchen basics. Okay. That's good to know. Um, yeah. I, I feel like it's, it's, it's a rich, flavorful stock. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to do much to it to make it taste really good. Um, but if you don't have access to that or you just buy, you know, like a, a can or a, a carton of like, you know, your grocery store has a brand of stock, then you could always just add a bay leaf and a few carrots and a, and an onion to it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it really can boost the flavor. Mm-hmm. I also, um, always, and that goes with like 
storing like your your veg your vegetable scraps. My friends Karen and David, they do this. They are amazing at at curbing food waste. Like they have zero. And anytime they roast a chicken, they save their their carcass to mm-hmm. make stock. Um, and so I've I've been doing that for a few years, and I always have stock in the in the freezer. Yeah, because it freezes so well. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's it's, and you know, if you've made a a nice rich stock from a chicken, then you could just sip it like you're, you know, like a bone broth and it's so easy and it's good. delicious. Yes. Yes. And you can use I, it. And what other ways do you use your stock other than soups? Uh, oh, uh, like rice dishes, risotto and, um, anything that I'm like going to braise. If I'm going to braise some meat, I always add my stock to it, mm-hmm. like a roast or chicken or, um, I add stock to um, – sometimes I'll add stock to my tomato sauce mm. to just make it richer and more velvety. I love stock. <laughs> Me too. So excited Me too. about stock. <laughs> I know. And now's the time. Like this is when we, you know, when we make it, I feel mm-hmm. like, because, you know, it's just – I um, we made some corn risotto over the weekend and we had some like left, holdover, some corn that was held over because it's very hard to get now here. And, um, you know, I use those corn cobs and add that to the, to the stock, to the stock mm-hmm. just to, to really infuse the flavor. Mm-hmm. And I think you can put anything in stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I have ginger, I'll just throw that in or oh, I had yeah, some lemongrass once I put that mm, in. So good. Um, I, I read a recipe years ago that, um, that, the, the recipe developer put a, a star anise in her stock for her chicken mm-hmm. noodle soup. Oh my gosh. It's, it's it was so delicious. So yeah. I'm, good. That's what you put in, um, pho broth. Like when you're making stock for pho. Yes. Put the yes. anise in there, the which anise. I haven't done yet. I need to do that. Mm-hmm. Nice. So um, good. I have one more question before we move on to the quick fire. Okay, um, great. so you've talked a lot about how food is community to you and food is Mm. comfort and love. Um, What does that look like right now within the, in the world we're living today and how can other people experience that community when we can't really have people over and we can't have huge gatherings, especially with the holidays coming up, like who knows what Thanksgiving Uh. and Christmas are going to be like, what are your, what are your thoughts? I know it's so hard. It's, it's such a difficult time, you know? Um, and I, I think that, you know, I, as long as I can prepare dinner in and, um, people can pick up their, their meal, I feel like we're, we're still holding on to each other as a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, these holidays are going to be really tricky. I know that, you know, we just canceled a, a, family tradition that we've had for many years with my aunt and uncle. And so I think that there's a lot of value in FaceTime, cooking together over Zoom, Mm -hmm. you know, over um, during quarantine when I was, when I wasn't cooking, but I was sharing recipes. um, My, my dear friend, she got together with some of her friends over Zoom and they made eggplant Parmesan. Mm -hmm. And she shared with me that video. And it was so 
it just was like really endearing. I, I can't tell you how it made me feel like just to know that they found a way to cook together and to be together. Um, and so I, I've, I'd actually thought about doing something like that around the holidays, like um, making side dishes, you know, with some of my families um, over Zoom. I feel like there are lots of, this has forced us to be way more creative. And despite not having that, you know, that human connection, like the touching and the hugging, which I, I really, really miss. Um, I think that there have been a lot of good things that have come out of it too. I don't think that that sense of urgency is going to be as, as much at the forefront as it was before all of this, like rushing to get somewhere right. and grabbing something quick to eat. I feel like maybe people are taking, going to just slow down and take a little more time. Yeah, and I think it you, makes us more intentional too and and I'm and I think we're even communicating a little bit more. There's um I have high school friends that like before this we would only see each other a couple times a year and we'd keep in touch with a group chat, but then we started doing Zoom calls mm -hmm. like every weekend and we would have never done that. Yeah, yeah, it's like these little just this, these little alterations to our lives that, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of force you to kind of slow down and stop and take inventory of what's like really necessary, I guess. And luckily for, for us, you know, food is necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, I, during quarantine, I, a lot of, a lot of friends were sharing photos of, you know, Hey, we made donuts. We've never made donuts before. Or, you know, I had a friend who made bagels for the first time and, you know, she, her, their whole family was involved in the process. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's, it's really special, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that after this election is behind us and we can kind of like relax our shoulders just a bit, I think we're going to, we're going to find a way to begin again and, and try to find the good stuff. Yeah. I think so too. We'll I get through so. it. <laughs> yeah. There, there has to be um, another, we'll get over the hill. There has to be another side and. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you ready for some quick fire? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, what did you have for dinner last night? Oh, I had shrimp. I had pan-seared shrimp with uh, coriander and peppercorns and peanuts and Ooh. cilantro and lime. Oh yeah, that was good. That sounds delicious. Did you have noodles with it or rice? Or no, something? we had we had couscous with it. Oh, yeah. I never good. make couscous, and I don't know why because it's so easy. Mm -hmm. Is it the? Did you use the Moroccan, the little tiny couscous or pearl? Yeah, couscous? the tiny ones. Yeah, mm -hmm. the not the pearls, like the the Moroccan, mm -hmm. the teeny, the kind that goes like well into boule or salads. Mm, yum! Mm -hmm. Sounds so good. Yeah, it's good. All-time favorite recipe? Oh, gosh. Probably eggplant parmesan. Mm -hmm. It just, it makes, it makes everybody happy. It's, it's vegetarian and it's, it's versatile. It's relatively healthy if you mm -hmm. have it with, you know, some sauteed greens instead of pasta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Do you use your, do you have a recipe that you use? 
That's one that I, that's one that I developed myself that I share. Yeah. I, I, there's a, have you had, um, have you been to little Italy in Cleveland to Trattoria? I have not been to that one. I don't think. Their eggplant parm was, has always been my favorite. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just want, I decided that I was going to make it and I was going to, um, try to make it to taste like Trattoria. Mm. And so now it tastes like Dina's eggplant parmesan. <laughs> it's like it's taken on its own <laughs> identity and I, I'm really proud of it and happy about it. It's a, it's just something we love to eat and I love to make. Mm, that's so cool. Um, favorite cookbook? <sighs> right now, um, right now I love Amico Davies all Amico Davies cookbooks. Mm, I've never heard of. Oh gosh. She's a, she's an expat from Australia who lives in Italy with her husband and her two adorable girls and her cookbook Aquacata is just so beautiful. And I feel like it's part story, part recipes. And so you just kind of get transported Ooh. All of her, all of her cookbooks do that. I'm going to have to look at yeah. that. sounds right up my, my alley. Sounds oh yeah, like. definitely. Definitely. Um, do you have a least favorite food? Uh, I hate ham salad. <laughs> <laughs> like the mayonnaise type of oh, ham salad. Oh. It's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's like ground ham. I, I can't. Can't no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can, I can see that. Yeah, not so oh. great. Last one. You can invite five uh, food lovers, whether they're celebrity chefs or food people in your life. Oh gosh, for dinner. Um, who are they, and what are you cooking for them? Oh my gosh. Right now, I mean, I would just love to have some of my friends over that I haven't had inside my house, you know, mm-hmm. for the last six months. But um, I would have, I would invite Deb Perlman mm. from Smitten Kitchen. Oh yeah, yeah. She's a huge inspiration to my home cooking adventures. I I love her, and a lot of her recipes are my go-to. Um, um I might have um, uh, my grandma Mary. If I could, mm-hmm. if she could just come back and yeah. sit down at my table, Aww. you know, I, I've never, she's not living mm-hmm. and I haven't ever had, you know, she's cooked, she cooked for me most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never had a chance to cook for her. So I would love oh. to have her over for dinner. Um, I would invite my friend, Samantha. She's a local cook and um, she's just wonderful to have in your room and space. Amiko Davies, Mm -hmm. let's invite her. She's fascinating. And maybe her husband, because he's a sommelier. And so he could serve us wonderful wine Mm -hmm. and drinks. Yeah. I think that's five. Oh, good. Because I could keep going. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Oh, I have to cook for them. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Eggplant parmesan, I guess, mm-hmm. and um, a big salad, a big house salad, and uh, probably um, a plum pie. Mm. I've been obsessed with this plum pie lately. I've made like three, and I never bake pies, but plum pie, it's delicious good. plums. Oh my gosh, they 
they're just, they, they bake beautifully. They hold up the, you know, they're, they're so good. So good. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a good meal. I feel like with dinner parties, you have to keep it simple. So eggplant, Parmesan and salad. Sounds yeah. Different. I don't want to, I don't want to be cooking the whole time. I want to like enjoy my guests, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Or maybe um, we'd have a potluck. Ooh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's fun too. Yeah. Um, so now I'd, I'd love for you to share your recipe with us. Can we talk about that? Oh yeah, sure. Let's talk about it. The, the braised chicken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is like, um, this is something that I made. Like I said, I, I really wanted to harness this flavor from my grandma's chicken and rice. And so we kind of created this braised chicken and um, it's nice because it teaches you a, a, like a very basic cooking technique, braising meat, um, and then adding flavor. So um, it's just some whole, a whole chicken. And you can just get like a fryer chicken cut up from the market. Mm -hmm. And you, you dredge it in flour. Um, and you sprinkle a little kosher salt on it. And then you... Uh, you sear the chicken on both sides in a little butter and olive oil until it's kind of browned and set it aside. And then um, you, in the same pan, you deglaze it with some uh, lemon juice and some chicken stock and bring it up to a simmer and add some white wine. Mm -hmm. And then I always throw in a, some garlic cloves and like a cooking onion or a shallot. Mm -hmm. And then once that gets like kind of bubbly, then I add that I add the chicken back to the pan and I salt and pepper it again. And I add some fresh thyme and I put some slices of lemon on top of the chicken and I cover it with a lid and I, I let it braise for like 20, 25 minutes. That sounds absolutely delicious. So tender. Then, you know, take the, then when the chicken's done and it'll be about 163. 3165 mm -hmm. then um, take the chicken remove the chicken and strain the liquid so strain out the the, the garlic and um, the onion and then return that pan to heat and add some flour so you're gonna make like a nice roux or gravy mm. and salt and pepper if you need to adjust or a little lemon if you want a little more citrusy There'll be some thyme leaves left behind. That's fine. That's good. And then, um, yeah, then chicken. Voila, like tender braised chicken. And it's a chicken that tastes like it was stewing for mm. a long time, but it really doesn't take long. Wow. And what are you serving it with? Well, I like to serve it with pureed parsnips. Mm. Um, or, you know, pureed or like mashed Yukon Golds. You know, it's, it's got this rich, delicious gravy pan sauce. So you just want something that you can like scoop up that sauce mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And then I like to saute green beans with it because my daughter loves green beans. Mm -hmm. That sounds so great. good. I'm going to yeah, so. try to make that this week. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if any of the listeners have questions about it, they can send me a, a message and we, we can talk about it. Yeah. That's great. Um, so where can the listeners find you? Oh, probably Instagram is my, my primary source. It's at Dina's underscore table. Okay. 
Awesome. I have a website that mm-hmm. you can link from there, but yeah, you can DM me and I'll, I'll get right back to you. Perfect. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing everything and talking to me. It was so much fun. Gosh, it was such my pleasure, Katie. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Muse Room. I hope you enjoyed hearing Dina's story, and I hope you're a little bit inspired to get back into the kitchen if you have been away from the kitchen or if you haven't really spent any time in the kitchen. I hope you're inspired to get in there and have some fun with food and creating meals for yourself and your family and your friends. You can find the full recipe that she shared in the show notes over at museroom.space and please be sure to follow Dina on Instagram at dinas underscore table. So that's D-E-N-A-S underscore table for more cooking inspiration. And if you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at museroomtable. And if this podcast sparks joy, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for your support and I will talk to you next time.